0: Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome. It is David Cherry, and I am doing uh, a little bit of a uh, verbal overview of this post that I'm um, going to be talking about today. So uh, it'd be very similar to the reading, except for maybe some extra commentary as I work through the post, Uh, just getting back up and podcasting a little bit again. So um, this post is on some revelations uh, I've had about crypto markets since my time away I've been upstate in Northern California. I've been unplugged. I've been off Twitter. And in my last post, I really asked the question you know, how many original ideas do you really have in crypto? How often are we changing our minds? Are we going with the winds of uh, crypto Twitter instead of having our own theses? Uh, and so I've been taking the month off of Twitter. I've been trying to understand kind of, you know, as you. Pull away from these different inputs, what actually remains. Um, and so here's some things that kind of bubbled up in my time. Um, not really paying too much attention to crypto markets. It's a great time to be, to be unplugged. Um, right now, just as a little bit of context, it's, um, Monday, November 29th. We've been in the middle of a bunch of, uh, chop, um, you know, it ranging between sort of the 54K to the 60K, uh, range personally. I think CHOP is great. I really don't mind when we're bouncing between levels like we are, obviously we don't wanna break uh, the the lower bound, um, but what typically happens and the way that I think about this is uh, when you're having CHOP and you're ranging, when you're you're ranging from 54 to 59 up and down and up and down, what's most typical, especially for something like Bitcoin, is at some point you're gonna break from that range. And how I think about it is uh, there are uh, coins moving from people who are shorter term in their thinking to people who are longer term in their thinking. There's there's people who are slowly starting to accumulate that are going to hold longer, and eventually there's a supply shock and there's less uh, Bitcoin available, which ends up breaking the price range to the upside. So anytime you see Bitcoin ranging up and down like this, the longer it ranges, Oftentimes the bigger the supply shock and the bigger the move upward. So I like seeing it coil like this. Um, you know, for me personally, it's almost always, uh, bullish reasoning, you know, as long as, as long as things don't break lower, especially in the structural kind of market we're in today. So, anyways, that's a little bit of a, a market commentary. Um, you know, getting to my thinking. One thing that was interesting in my post is I think it took me about seven days to nine days to actually start having some thinking emerge that felt like, it was unique in my own, um, and really I, I came away with a much more zoomed out view of um of crypto generally, which led me to feel much more bullish um, if that's possible. but I think anytime you zoom out and look at what's happening, um, you know in crypto, you tend to be more bullish um, as you look in the long term time horizon because so many things are changing. so my first takeaway as I was thinking about structurally where we are in the crypto markets is that for a long time, because it's been a small industry, because it was mostly you know a sub-$1 trillion industry, we've thought of crypto as its own sector, right? We felt like we are this sub this little square of the market that not that many people are paying attention to. And because of that, it felt like we were in our own pocket of the world. But I think we've now crossed into a new phase where... Crypto is a a pillar of a broader global change that's taking place. It's finding its way into the real world more and more instead of being the kid kind of in the corner who's being ignored. Um, And so I think if you think about everything that's going on in our lives, the COVID acceleration of technology and remote work, the backdrop of global markets, political polarization populism technological disruption uh the money printing i think more and more crypto is a pillar it is an emerging pillar of the landscape of the macro uh economy and it's it, it's sort of like it flipped from us finding crypto to crypto now finding other markets like it's inside out it's um seeking to fill in the gaps of these tectonic plates that are already shifting and becoming molten, the uh, layers of money and government and policy. Because of where we are just culturally, um everything is being shaken up. And I think as things liquefy, it's not just that it'll seep into crypto, it'll go the other direction. Crypto will seep into these different conversations. And I thought it was interesting that even someone like um, I know I, I didn't watch this talk, but, um, Hillary Clinton was commenting on how, uh, crypto actually poses a threat to the dollar. Um, and so, you know, it used to be you could ignore it and shun it. And now people are starting to feel like, oh, wait, wait, it's, it's a wave that is, uh, potentially going to be crashing into us. Um, and so that to me speaks to just the global, um, macro view of where crypto is. And I think, um, it is a core piece of the next decade, the next, you know 20 years uh and more and more it's asserting itself as that now takeaway 2 which is really interesting is if you think about the velocity of money which is basically how frequently money is exchanged um tran- as uh trust increases in a system the friction to transact is removed which means the velocity of money will increase and there's a really simple example i can give you of this you know, for a long time, I was paying contractors that were overseas for my business, after of the Stock Photo, and I would be paying people who were in South Korea or New Zealand or the Philippines, and there was this uh, slow friction to paying people in other countries. You had to convert capital. It would take three days to get there, and that friction made it so that you actually didn't even want to hire people that much overseas because there was such a barrier. There was this low-trust environment where do I know who these people are? Are they going? Is the money going to arrive? Is it going to take three days? What's the exchange rate? I'm going to be, you know, charged another forty dollars just for sending this wire. All of that friction slows the speed of money in the traditional system. Now that we're building this new system of crypto. We are removing friction by removing the trusted third party, and that's really what the blockchain has done for us. It's removed the trusted third party. You do not have to trust your counterparty. You just have to trust the code to run the contract. That removes friction. By removing friction, more payments will happen more quickly. And as velocity increases within an economy, wealth is shared and distributed more quickly. I think NFTs are a great example of this. If you imagine how fast money is bubbling into and expanding the price of NFTs and then shifting to different areas, if you look at the DeFi markets, you're seeing um, with new yield comes massive amounts of value locked in DeFi protocols seemingly overnight. That's what you see in a market that has a very high velocity of money. And what I think is going to happen is if you imagine two parallel systems The legacy financial system has a slow velocity of money because of the friction that exists. It will continue to get slower because there's going to be less money in the system. As we make the leap from the old system to the new system, more capital will start getting put into this, uh, that you have this money, these money batteries of crypto and energy will be massively, uh, will have a massively high velocity. Um, and so you're you're going to see companies grow faster than they've, they've ever grown before. Protocols grow faster than they've already grown before. I I think it's already the case that crypto native businesses have grown faster than any traditional company ever has. Uh, I know Binance went from zero to a thousand employees and a billion dollar valuation. I think it was in two years. Uh, so expect more of that. Expect more velocity in the crypto economy, and ex- expect a slower velocity in the uh, traditional economy. And I think there may be some interesting things around inflation and deflation that also occur that will uh, change the dynamic of the velocity of money. Takeaway of three is really about how we're going to capture value in this new system. Now, the internet wants media to be free. It wants to spread and replicate ideas infinitely across the internet at zero marginal cost. That's what all of the Web2 businesses have been built on. They monetized through an adjacent value proposition, which was advertising, which was reaching the people who provide their attention on this free media. And I think crypto, while some people think it's a way specifically just to monetize your media, and, and even with these intermediaries like Substack where you're, you're paywalling, you're paygating your content, I think the contrarian move here is that you still want media to be free. You still want ideas to spread as far and wide as possible, especially in the early days. So when you're just starting out, you know, if you think about the pricing curve of even something like Bitcoin, you want it to cost you know, little to no money to run your Bitcoin node and get involved in Bitcoin in the early days. With Ethereum, you want to airdrop as many tokens to as many people as possible in the early days. With the media you produce, before you are big time, you want to spread ideas. And even when you're big time, you want to spread ideas. Now, what crypto has allowed us to do is create scarcity in the digital realm and the digital media space. Um, and this allows you to monetize that scarcity. And I think one mechanism by which people will maintain the freedom of the Web 2.0 business and monetize from a Web 3.0 standpoint is uh NFTs are a great example of this because you can mint your NFTs almost free, right? So you could be a famous artist and still do a massively cheap minting price for the NFTs, Because you get a percentage of the secondaries. So as you build uh, value for your brand over the next five, 10 years, as your brand accrues more value over time, you're still capturing secondary sales. As you incentivize other people to produce media and content related to your brand in the marketplace, you're still capturing secondary sales. You're capturing that royalty. So I think there's a model here which is spread your media for free far and wide, and then monetize the long tail. Now, one other example I can imagine is you always launch your book for free or have free versions. However, you can create stratification by making special editions of your books, uh, which you then sell and transact in a different way. Maybe they've got some extra perks. Remixes of the book that someone else created are now sold on the market and you're getting a royalty, which means you're getting sales from the uh, growth of that attention just in a different way. Takeaway four, uh, the moat, and this is a really interesting discussion, the moat of Web3 tech businesses uh, will be about how many contracts are written to their base layer. Now, um, when you think about a Web3 business, we think about these open and transparent systems, right? We think about protocols that you can fork at any given time. We think about the code being open. We think about the contracts being open. So if you have this open source product, if everyone can see the code base and just fork it at any time, if anyone can see everyone interacting with it, all their customers, you know, or at least their customers' addresses, well then how will Web3 tech businesses have them moat? How will they accrue value? And the way that I see this going is, you can think about every company as a base layer, almost like a layer one. Every company has their own layer one, and that layer one, that protocol they're building, are the uh, the aspects of the company that function to provide the service. So you're developing code, you're developing media, you're developing partnerships you're acquiring um, customers or addresses that are following or subscribing to your business as you're building it. And what happens as each of these different parties interact with your base layer protocol is they write what I'll call a quote-unquote contract to your base layer. So if I'm somebody who wants to contribute to your code, I will commit the contract to the base layer of your business of code that I'm writing on your behalf. If I'm somebody who wants to talk about your business publicly, sort of like a Google backlink, I can commit media or I can uh, sell my media or I can connect my media to your business, which again is another commitment and a contract, potentially even a legal contract that I can establish with the base layer of your business or protocol. And the last one is capital. So code media and capital. Uh, if I want to provide capital, if I want to stake, if I want to LP, if I want to put up collateral and sign a contract that I'm going to lock it up with your company, that I'll stake with your company, once again, that is an individual who is committing a type of contract to the base layer of your business. So the way that the Web3 tech businesses will accrue a moat and value is by becoming trusted by becoming a shelling point, the the place that everybody goes to for X type of service, you're a trusted service, you're the place that everyone knows is a trusted service, you're open, you're transparent. The more people that quote unquote create contracts, legal contracts, money contracts, media contracts, employment contracts, financial contracts, data contracts, the more that they're contracting with your base layer of a business, the harder it will be for a competing business to get all of those individual contributors to to commit to a different code base, a different base layer. So let me just try to give you a really specific example of this, uh, one that I know a little bit better because of just the space that I've been in. If you think about a company like Unsplash, which is a media library of stock photos, there were thousands, if not uh, tens of thousands of photographers who committed their uh photography to the base layer protocol let's call it of unsplash there were legal contracts around those media that were committed to the base layer there was code that the company wrote to vend uh or become a marketplace for this media there were partnerships that were signed that became contracts to the base layer and that is all the value that's accruing to this this open base layer that they're they're producing Now, if you're a competitor and you want to get all those photographers to switch protocols, if you want to get all those partners to switch protocols, if you want to get the capital that's being put into this protocol uh, to be moved, suddenly you need to convince all of those different parties to rewrite a contract to your base layer instead of theirs. So as a company accrues more contracts in the form of code, media, capital, and more, it will get more and more difficult for a competitor to pull those contracts away. Now, Web3 is great because it's more interoperable, it's more transparent, it's easier to to become a node of a different company instead of the one that you're currently contracted to. However, I think because of trust and because of transparency and because you know, let's say that for the last three years this business has been a good actor, you're gonna feel more safe committing uh, your NFT to OpenSea, for example, as you would some upstart. So the more people that commit their NFTs, that commit their wallets, uh, let's say, to being signed in with OpenSea, the harder it is for a new upstart to get them to commit their resources, capital, media, code to a different competitor. Anyways, I hope that that makes sense. Um, I am going to pause here because I'm going to do a part two edition of this with the next few takeaways that I had because this went a little bit longer than I expected. Uh, but if you have any questions, ideas, comments, I would love to hear them. Uh, and with that, I'll be back again very soon with a part two with some more revelations and ideas about crypto markets. Thanks.